Um, I want to shift gears in our messages on the kingdom of God, and I want to do a review and an overview, if you will, of all the important kingdom truths that I've been sharing for the past five, six months. I want to review them, and at the very beginning of this, I want to take a couple minutes, and I want to answer the question, because I believe it's, a, it's an important question. I think the answer um, we needed as a focus and that is, why am I spending time, a lot of time, explaining the kingdom of God in detail? Why am I doing that? It's not because it's interesting or it's a cool thing to teach on or, or to preach or exciting. There's a, there's a very specific reason. And um, it's not, it is not a mistake. I didn't plan it. It's just kind of ar arranged by God, I think, this way that on this Sunday, two days before the election, the election of a lifetime, really, uh, that this message has, has come together. And so it's important, I want to answer the question, why have I been teaching and explaining the kingdom of God? Simply put, it's because Satan hates the favored position that the gospel of Jesus Christ has held in America's founding and its history. He hates it. And because from America, the gospel of the kingdom has freed millions of souls and has planted and opened thousands of kingdom embassies all around the world. And so Satan sees that there's never been an empire or a, a nation that has had this kind of relationship with the kingdom of God. Not since perhaps relatively close, maybe the glory days of the tabernacle of David during David's administration in Israel, but, but not with the far-reaching effect of souls being just robbed from Satan's kingdom and embassies planted of the kingdom of God around the world. But in retaliation, Satan raised up Marxism in the 20th century. And at the cost of over 100 million lives murdered in the name of socialism, he planted its demonic flag in several nations across the world. Satan's political hold on these nations has given him the base from which to launch his political takeover of America. And his antichrist insurgency has embedded itself throughout our education system, our government, our media, and the institutions of our cultural influence. After the eight-year presidency of Barack Obama, the setup for Americans' conversion to Marxism was ready. Satan was poised to remove the light of the kingdom of God from its place of prominence in America and bury the church under an avalanche of accusation and persecution. That was the next chapter in 2016 that was about to be affected. The ball had been teed up, and that's where we were heading. Not the eliminating of the church from America, but the taking down and total obscuring of its prominence in the influence of American culture. As the plan 
stood, Satan's assignment for Hillary Clinton was to succeed Obama and to wipe the influence of the kingdom of God from American culture. For example, speaking at the 2015 Women in the World Summit, Hillary Clinton said, quote, deep-seated cultural codes, religious beliefs, and structural biases must be changed. And that was only one of many statements that she made signaling that with that spirit of Antichrist, she was coming to take down the influence of the kingdom of God. We who were paying attention, we heard it loud and clear. We knew exactly what that meant. Hillary Clinton was supposed to win the 2016 election. There was a momentum that went way beyond just, just the politics of one party versus another. There had been a buildup over decades. It involved an international demonic conspiracy. Satan was behind this. Very few people on earth knew it other than those who prophetically were watching from God's watchtower and seeing. But her defeat by Donald Trump was a total surprise. It wasn't supposed to happen. It shocked the nation. And right at the moment that Satan was about to capture the flag of the kingdom of God, God answered the prayers of intercessors and, ins and inserted a period of grace. He took Donald Trump and stuck his foot in the door and stopped that advance of Marxism and its antichrist ideology and stopped and put his hand out and said, all right, church, come back. He gave us an opportunity to realign with our kingdom message and with our kingdom mandate. Trump's shocking victory immediately provoked a death pact between government operatives, educators, and media uh, uh, um, uh, uh, influencers to take him out and to continue the Marxist antichrist takeover of our nation. But the demonic rage that we've all been seeing against Trump's Make America Great Again anthem that demonic rage, that demonic campaign, uh, rage against his, his MAGA campaign that's sweeping through our culture, it's having a counter effect. It's having a counter effect. It's pushing millions of Americans to acknowledge God is what is great at the heart of America. Millions of Americans saying, we don't want to give up our God. We don't want to have our God buried under a book. Not just Christians, just millions of Americans across this country. Many of them not even saved. But they are recognizing God's influence is great, and they're standing up. That's, that's what all these trucks with the flags and boats and these 30,000, 40,000, everywhere he goes. It's not him. I mean, he is not a rock star. He wasn't, he wasn't designed in Hollywood. There are a lot of flaws about him. What is it? 
People across the nation are coming out everywhere. Something's happening. They know that Satan's coming for their flag. They feel it. They hear it. They see it. They know. They know that Marxism is simply Satan's placeholder to take control of this country. And they're revolting. They're revolt. They're parading. They're shouting. They can't. They're looking for every forum and every platform of expression to say, we're not giving up our God. Let me say it again. We're not giving up our God. Amen. We are in the middle of the battle for God's purpose for America. And what is that purpose? To advance the kingdom of God. Period. That is God's purpose for 400 years. That has been the plan of God for the founding of this nation was the establishing of God's kingdom and its effectiveness throughout all of the world. President Trump is just halfway through his assignment to hold the door open for God's people to rise up and to raise up God's standard. It's not Donald Trump. It's we, the ambassadors of Christ, that now must take center stage and retake the gates of America. Retake the gates. I want to just pause. It's not in my notes. and just tell you something this morning. I'm weary of all the politics just like you are. I, I just like all of you, feel like I have to listen to one more. The church, however, has, has undergone an essential elemental change, not for the good but for the worse, in which our DNA has been messed with by the enemy. That DNA that, that goes back to Abraham, when God first started to make covenants with men, all of them became political. All of them became involved with the governments of societies and nations and kingdoms around them. Some of our greatest prophets were statesmen like Daniel and Joseph. They were all in government. Esther and the rest of them, the prophets prophesied to governments. And when Jesus came, who did he engage more than anyone else but governmental leaders? And the body of Christ as Jesus rose. What did Jesus say to the greatest apostle? You shall stand and testify before kings. Are you listening to me? God's covenant people have always gone straight into the political arena. Why? Because the kingdom of God is coming back to overthrow the kingdom of darkness. And the kingdom of darkness is seated and manifest in political governments. The founding pastors of this nation got in pulpits every week and informed their congregations what was happening in American culture and explained to them where they as Christians should stand in these issues that were being hammered out on the anvil of political ideology, particularly as our nation was formed. What happened somewhere along the line? Satan's messed with the church. And Christians don't have a backbone. They've got a wishbone. And they don't want to be messed with. They don't want to be involved. Somewhere along the line, the church completely stood off to one side and said, it's not our business. We let all the secular people run the country. And now you've got millions, what, 60-something million unborn children have been annihilated 
murdered in our country because we stood aside and said, let the secular people run the country. We're going to run religion. But Jesus didn't come to the world to bring a religion. He came to bring a government. And the Bible says the government shall be on his shoulders. And of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish it. Where's the zeal that the church once had? We think zeal is what you get when you run around and kick the drums over and speak in tongues and go home or go out to the buffet afterwards and say, Woo, didn't we have church today? Hallelujah. That's not zeal. Zeal happens when kings are, are stood up by prophets of God. When God's people march into the halls of governmental authority and plant the standard of the kingdom of God. I am not talking about creating, uh, uh, creating a theocracy. I am talking about influencing our culture. What do you think Jesus meant when he said, you are the salt of the earth? And if you lose your saltiness, it rots. Is it, am I not making myself clear? Do you understand where we have something's wrong with what's happened? And so God grabbed a man named Donald Trump right at the moment when we were about to go right off the cliff and he jammed him. And how did he win that election? Where did that come from? It came from men and women who've been on their face praying, Oh God, we are standing in the gap. They've seen it. They've, Jesus said, watch and pray. Well, not everybody has been in church just praying the routine prayers for the past several decades that church people pray. Oh, Lord, save everybody. Oh, Lord, you know, I need a new car. Uh, oh, Lord, um, you know, uh, make things better between my kids and I. I'm not making fun of that. Nothing wrong with that. But I want to tell you, if you want to see the power of God, if you want to see the true outpouring of God. I was on my face this morning praying. I got it writ written right here in my notes just to make sure I don't mess it up. Not as young as I used to be, but yes, glory to God. If you want to see the real power of God moving, stop just praying with your own need in mind and begin to pray for the portion, not just for yourself, but the portion for somebody else. Are you listening to me? Most Christians pray for a portion. They have it figured out in their minds. This is what I need. I, I need to be emotionally uplifted. I need to have some things worked out in my life. Uh, the we, they seek a portion from God that's the size and fit just for them. And then their prayer is over with. And that's why oftentimes prayers are very quiet. When people pray, they just, they don't get loud. They, they keep it within themselves. They pray a, 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 um, a contemplative type of prayer. Nothing wrong with that. But when you're praying for your own portion, that's how you go. You're just within yourself. And the Lord spoke to me this morning. He said the anointing that breaks the yoke is outside of that experience. It's, it's, it's out there for people who start to, to get satisfied with God and then go beyond their portion and they pray to get a hold of the portion for their city. 
they, they pray to get a hold of the portion for those that are addicts, those that are broken, those that are lost, those that are bound by Satan, uh, those that are being deceived by Marxism and its antichrist godless ideologies and having their minds poisoned. Instead of just praying for our portion, Lord, keep my house safe. Keep, don't, let COVID, don't let COVID get a hold of us. And, and uh, Father God, this, you know, um, you see what I'm saying? When you pray for the portion beside yourself, you don't, you don't pray um, just uh, contemplatively. You get loud. You, get, you start getting loud. That's when you hear people. I, I, I went back in my mind and I remembered we had a, a church of, well, the, the church actually grew, became quite large. But, but when, we, when we were in the stage of our growth and maybe had four, five, six hundred people, um, we would have pre-service prayer. And people would come up around the altar. It always started just contemplative, quiet, kind of bowed, kneeling, whatever. But it never stayed like that for long because they were trained. We're here for the city. We're not here for my family. We're here for the city. We're here for the nation. And so people would start getting, you'd start hearing them. You'd start two or three people down. And, and I, I can name the, I can put the names with the big mouth prayers. We had big mouth prayers. They'd just get loud. They would always get loud. But they had a mentality that they were doing spiritual warfare and interceding for others. And when they did that, they had to pray outside their own head. Do you understand that? They prayed outside where the lost are. They spoke out into the community. They spoke out into the atmosphere where the demons and the demonic structures and the governments of darkness held captive people outside of them. And boy, I'll tell you, it would take about 10 minutes and all that quiet waiting on the Lord was now a, a, a traffic jam of people up walking around the sanctuary, waving their hands, praying out loud, some of them in tongues, some of them, some of them singing in the spirit, but loud and calling on the name of the Lord. If you didn't know what was going on, you'd walk in there and say, what the heck do these people, what are they doing? Because everybody's idea of prayer is private contemplative meditation. You don't, you don't express outside of yourself. It's private. It's been, and I get that. I mean, there's got to be a private something with God or you're not going to have any public power or influence with God. There's got to be that. Am I not right? But the Lord said, the Lord said, come on. I'm out here. Who wants to get a hold of my portion for the unsaved. Are you listening? You come to church, you pray, you worship. When you're filled, you're satisfied. When, when you've got a little breakthrough, a little touch, you're satisfied. Where are the people who they, their meter goes way beyond that? They don't stop at, oh, I'm blessed. Oh, I feel happy. Oh, I, I've, I've got something. They keep pressing in. And it's at that point where they keep pressing in, they start getting loud. They start getting aggressive. They start going after the enemy and his strategies and holds on others. You see, that is why, that is why we have come to this moment. 
because Satan is about to take down this country. A pause took place four years ago. Four years ago. Hillary Clinton was supposed to be president. Now notice I said Satan's assignment for Hillary Clinton. That doesn't mean that Hillary Clinton worships the devil and prays and gets her assignment from him. I hope you understand, mature enough to understand, that Satan has assignments for people who have no idea that Satan has assignments for them. They have no idea that what, and it, they would be mortified if they knew that what they were doing and what they were saying and how they were behaving was being used of the devil. They wouldn't realize that. I mean, so how many of you are married? How many would say, you don't have to raise your hand, because I know you're here with your spouse today. But how many of you have ever watched your spouse be used by Satan? Yeah, of course. Of course. Of course. And they don't know it. They don't know that's what's happening. But notice that Satan's strategy for her was to use her attitude, to use the roots of her ideology and all the connections that she had built and the web of connections that she had designed over the years. She was poised and ready to be put into place and to follow on the heels of Barack Obama. Marxism, socialism, as the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the pinky elites like to talk about it as socialism, but we all know that it's nothing more than full-blown communism in seed form. It's nothing more than, than antichrist politics wrapped up in a political ideology. After we had been conditioned for eight years to, a, to drink from the cup of socialism and start talking about it, she was about to come in and we were going into full-blown, flat-out Marxism. Our, our youth had been trained and you sent your kids to those schools and you, you've paid the bill. You've paid for the, for the devil to turn them into acolytes of Karl Marx. You did it. You, you put them there. And I don't say that accusingly. I know it looks or sounds like it. But, you know, as they say, if the shoe fits, wear it. See, back when you, you know, years ago, and you thought, well, I want my kid to go to Yale. I pastored at Yale for six years. I know what, what those universities are like. And, I, and I'm going to tell you, you know, years ago, that idea, that vision of, oh, they're just going to get the best education. They're going to get more than an education. It has been years since people that went to Yale just got a good education. They've been coming out of those schools now for a long time as foot soldiers in Satan's campaign against the kingdom of God and its influence in America. And they didn't even know it. They're just primed and set up and ready for it. And so, God picked a man, and guess what? He didn't pick a preacher. He didn't pick a Sunday school superintendent. He didn't pick somebody who was going to be voted on by a church board. And said, so we just need somebody really godly. We want someone who can really talk well. We want somebody who really knows how to put words together. What is wrong with us? People that really can talk and put words together have been robbing you for decades and have put this country at the brink of destruction. 
We all like to look back at history and laugh and talk about how Nero played the fiddle. Maybe he was pretty good at it. But he gave a little violin concert while his, while his capital city was going down in flames. No, God picked a rough, crude, but honest individual who in his heart of hearts wanted the things God wanted. Amen. And half of God's people could see it for what it was. I remember in 2015, I think before we even got in 2016, I got on my face and prayed. I said, God, all the, we, we, how, what did we have, 127 candidates running in the primary? And there were a whole bunch of them that were professed Christians that were really good people. And I, I was supporting maybe two or three of them for a while. I got on my face and said, Lord, show me who is it. I didn't even consider Donald Trump. It was like I was Samuel the prophet going through the, you know, David's brothers. Have you considered? So I was considering all the ones that looked like, well, oh, I could just see her. Oh, I could just see her. Look at the credentials. The Holy Spirit spoke clearly to me. He said, none of them are my pick. I choose Donald Trump. I thought, what? I didn't even want to get up out of my prayer closet and go tell my wife. But I remember walking in and tell her, the Lord said he picked up. But when God spoke that to me, I saw a rough tool. I'm a tool guy. I don't know how many of you guys are tool guys. But I do a lot of different types of I shouldn't tell this in church because I'm, I'm going to get phone calls. If you need something done, call Terry, uh, Justin. Don't call me. But I, I got all kinds of tools. I got tools that I've had for decades, and I love them. And they're ugly. And they're dinged up. And they got rust on them. And they've been used a lot. And even when they were in their best condition, they looked dangerous. They weren't, they weren't tools of comfort. But when you had to tear down bad construction, when you had to gut rot out of a house so that you could rebuild it, you didn't go get that fancy little uh, Barack Obama, little special flimsy little feminine tool. You weren't hanging curtain rods or drapes. Are you listening to me? We want someone to talk nice to us. Oh, we don't want somebody to, to use crude language. We don't want people. And then, my God, he called people names. Of course, we all call people names, either out loud or in our mind. And half the time we spend on our knees, because, Father, I'm sorry. God, forgive me. No, I know they're not a bozo, but... but he, 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 it's an art form with him. It's an art form. The way he comes up with those, and I, you know, I noticed they're prophetic. <laughs> they're prophetic. It, the man's a prophet. I mean, it's unbelievable. He comes up with names and they stick. It's like, oh my God, he really is little so-and-so. <laughs> Come on, you know I'm telling the truth. Oh, people hate it. They just go absolutely wild. But the meantime, the other half of the country are like, 
they hear the prophecy. They're like, oh my God, I love that. That is true. So look, I haven't even got to it. I'm not going to get to it this morning. I, I was going to go through the first two points of the review of the kingdom of God. I'm going to have to kick them down the road to next week because I, I got stuck on trying to preach to you and, and tell you how God has called you as ambassadors of the kingdom of God to engage with the political structures around you. Why? Because they determine what the society God has assigned you to actually acts and behaves like. How can you say, I'm, I just want people to get saved, but you don't want to have anything to do with what controls and governs their life? Come on. What do you think the Apostle Paul was talking about when he said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to what? Pulling down. Pulling down. What the heck is a stronghold? It is most often some kind of political apparatus that controls people's lives and makes them cry out for deliverance. And we say, oh, no, no, it's spiritual, it's spiritual. Show me a spirit without a physical apparatus, and I'll show you a figment of your imagination. If there's a devil working, there's a physical apparatus that he's working through. Come on, hallelujah. So, so look, God grabbed the big ugly tool. God grabbed the big ugly tool in 2016 and the, and the country chimped out. I mean, it just went ballistic, half of them. The others rejoiced. Many of them thought, hmm, what's it going to be like? This is Donald Trump. He, he has no experience being a lying conniver and manipulator of people like we like. You know, we, we like to vote for people, connive and and, and lie, just make me feel good while you're doing it. Politicians, just say the right things. We don't really expect you to be different. Isn't it amazing how everybody wants change and then, then absolutely chimps out when it starts happening? We've never done it like this. this is, who's he think he is? He's laying up there in the White House. Let me tell you, Donald, that's one thing about Donald Trump. He don't lay anywhere. I don't think the man lays down, period. I don't think he sleeps. Melania, get a couple hours extra sleep for me. I just can't sleep. He's, he's got people sleeping for, by proxy for him. He probably has people that are sleepers. I'm really worn out today. Get a, get a couple of other people to sleep for me. So listen, church, God grabbed a big, ugly tool. But that tool is not the answer. You know it and I know it. God certainly knows it. I'll tell you what, Donald Trump knows it. He knows he's nothing more than a foot in the door to stop the enemy from pouring through with his plan. This plan, they're not going to fold their tent and go away. This thing has been in the making since back in the earlier days of the 20th century. A hundred years they've been working at infiltrating America. And let me tell you what, they are that far away from their objective, that far. 
What's stopping them? Enough American people want God to be in control of their society. They want the influence of God. They don't want to give up the wonderful things, the, the, the things that Jesus spoke of in the Sermon on the Mount, the things that God spoke to Moses about in the Ten Commandments. They, they want God's order in their life. They want to have families. They want to have marriages. They want to raise children. They're not ready to give it up. And so they're holding on. It breaks my heart that we have unsaved people in those pickup trucks with all those flags racing up and down the street. They're making more noise than the Christians. They're more bold than Christians. They're out there, unsaved people. They're doing more to stand up for the kingdom of God in this country than Christians are doing. We should be ashamed of ourselves. God stuck that big ugly tool in the door to give us an opportunity. And you're right. It's an opportunity to save souls. But let me tell you, that great revival of souls being saved is not going to happen until some bold Christians start standing up and lifting up the standard of the kingdom of God and not fearing, let the chips fall where they may. Where are the truth tellers? I, I'm not talking about the people that get up and, and criticize everybody and talk ugly and nasty. I'm talking about the people that are willing to stand and say, no, Jesus is Lord, and we are not backing down from our, our position, our stand. The president, and I'll close with this, there is a, a, an assault, a coordinated, I called it in, in my opening comments, a death pack. There's a, been a death pack. Like, remember the, remember the Jews that made a death pack? What was it, 30 some odd Jews made a death pack to assassinate uh, Paul the apostle in Jerusalem? Said, we're not going to eat or drink until we kill Paul. And they had him in jail. I thought, oh, you guys are, you're going to be really hungry for, I don't know what, I don't know if they just died because they didn't eat, or they finally said, well, I'm going to have to break my oath. They, they, they made a death oath, and God got Paul out of there. I don't know what happened to those poor guys. Well, there are, between government um, uh, 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 operatives, people in the media, people in the uh, cultural centers of America, absolutely in education, have formed this death pact alliance we're going to kill. You know, when, when he first took office, it was within the first few months, we had Hollywood elites holding up severed heads with the blood pouring out where they'd cut, cut off the head. They were writing plays in America, plays in London of the president being assassinated. Their imaginations were so filled with the desire to slaughter and kill this man that they, they couldn't stand to wait for an assassin to rise up and assassinate him. They were, had to make plays about it. They made movies about it. Didn't, didn't you watch that? And didn't you recognize the demonic strategy? Didn't you think, what the heck? Where'd that come from? I, you know, everybody talked about uh, Richard Nixon back in the day, but I don't remember anybody burning him or stabbing him in Times Square in New York in effigy. 
Where, where, where is this generation? Where did they come from? Where did these people come from? They made a death pact. It's because they're motivated by demonic-inspired ideologies. It's called Marxism. And in the 20th century, Marxism murdered 100 million, one, get your mind around that, 100 million people were slaughtered to institute socialism, Marxism, communist communism in this country. So, here's where we are this morning. God is giving us an opportunity to be bold, to be brave, to stand for Jesus Christ, to lift up the gospel. The nation is at stake. For the past 400 years, the gospel has gone out throughout the world because the kingdom of God found a place where we would be, where it would be accepted in our culture. And you know what? Our founding fathers, the signers of the Constitution, not all of them were Christians. A number of them weren't, but the ones that weren't were admirers of the gospel, supporters of the gospel, like Benjamin Franklin. But let me tell you, those founding fathers, those men who sacrificed their lives, their families, their fortunes. They weren't just church people. They were kingdom of God people. They were people that said, yeah, I'd rather be back in Virginia taking care of my farm, my property, while it's falling apart. I'm here in Washington serving. They weren't getting paid anything. I'm here serving so that I can keep God's influence in our land, so that we can stay free. They knew where freedom came from. Today, our nation has forgotten where freedom has come from. And they're ready to, they're ready to throw Jesus Christ. Like all of that is, to me, exemplified in that poster. I think they were marching through the streets of San Francisco, the most popular picture of it. And it was one of those gay pride parades. And uh, one of them had a, a poster that said, if Jesus comes back, kill him again. Kill him again. See, that's the sentiment. You say, oh, that's an extremist. What, and the rest are what? Moderates? Just killing a little bit? A little bit of murder? A little bit of death? A little bit of killing? You think those seeds stay small? They don't. We need God's people. That will bring love back into vogue. Not, not the love the world preaches, which is nothing more than selfish license to do what I want to do, self-love. That's the new love. That's the love that, that they're teaching our kids in school. You're special and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And if they do, they're using words like a punch so you can just punch them back. Just hit them back because they're hurting you with their words. But the real love, the love that lays down its life for others, the love that's willing to be persecuted, but it's not going to shut up. It's going to speak the truth. Somebody say praise the Lord. Well, I'm, I'm going from preaching to speech making, and that's not my anointing, so I'm going to just <laughs> stop and say to you this morning, that door is open. It's going to be interesting to see what happens two days from now. I think, in my spirit, I see what's going to happen. But even if it goes the way that I believe God wants it to go, do not make the mistake that Christians always make. They rise up during election, they pray, then they fold up their tent, they shrink back into their houses of worship and they leave it all to the unsaved. They leave it all to godless people. Are you listening to me? Yeah. 
We are in the middle of a fight. And I don't want myself, my wife, I don't want you, and I don't want your children, and I don't want your grandchildren having to hide out and have church secretly in people's living rooms because you've been shut down and persecution has arisen. You think that would never happen. Let me tell you something. If they win, I see an America where large churches will keep getting large because they have accepted the culture of the state. And they're free to preach the gospel. They're free to go ahead. They've got plenty of energy, lots of money, lots of lights, lots of musicians, lots of everything that it takes. Just don't criticize what they're teaching your kids in school. Don't say anything about the perversions that they are forcing you to have to acknowledge. Don't resist any of it. Christians aren't about resistance. Are you serious? Don't even get me started. We'll just take a break and come back in an hour. But Christians are about resistance. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. You think, well, yeah, that, you got, that's the devil. I resist the devil. I already went there in the message. Just where you find the devil, where do you find him? Resist him there. All right, so look, stand up. Hallelujah. Next week, I promise, we'll do the review of the kingdom principles. But what I've just told you is why I believe God told me six months ago, stop everything, put aside everything you're preaching, and teach about the kingdom. The Lord told me back then, the church needs to renew its understanding of the kingdom, realign with its kingdom ideals, and its mandate, because if we don't, we will not be able to take our position that God wants us to take. It's going to be kingdom people that know about the kingdom of God and know about their kingdom authority.